Welcome to the American Classroom Podcast, where we discuss the role of education in building a civil society. I'm Jared Taylor, and with me is Lindsay Crosling, and today we have Heidi Udall joining us. So we're excited to talk about first-year teachers. So welcome, Heidi. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Before we begin, I want to mention that the American Classroom Podcast today is sponsored by Heritage Academy. It's a K-12 school in Arizona. We're serving a little over 4,000 students. Can you believe that? It's great. Heritage Academy is committed to instilling the ideals and values of the, fa- the great men and women who founded our country into the lives of these young people. Uh, and if there ever was a need for these values, now is the time for that. So we're grateful for Heritage sponsoring this podcast today. But Heidi, we're glad that you're joining us here for this conversation on first-year teachers. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. But tell our listeners a little bit about you and your experience as a first-year teacher. So um, this is my 20th year as an educator. I spent 16 years in the classroom as a high school English teacher. And part of that time, I was an instructional coach. Uh, The last four years, I've served as the principal of Heritage Academy Mesa. As a first-year teacher, I was a little bit unique, meaning that I had received my education in my 20s, and then I chose to step out of the profession and stay home for 13 years with my kids. So I was a first-year classroom teacher as a 37-year-old woman. And I think that my age gave me a little bit of credibility because no one knew that I was a first-year teacher. You'd raised a few. Yeah, I had. Um, And the persona I took on was a teacher mom, and uh, it worked for me. My first year was a little overwhelming for a couple of reasons. First of all, I had four different classes that I was teaching. And I had never taught any of them. Oh, wow. Four different preps? Four different preps. Congratulations. Um, Also, I hadn't really been a professional before. And so I needed to learn how to be a professional. Um, I'm I'm a professional type person, but functioning in a profession is, is, you know, a a skill that you have to acquire. Um, Also, it just, it was so much because I had four kids at home. Um, I had four different preps, and and it was just every day trying to get by. Sometimes I would be reading the story during lunch that I was teaching in 30 minutes. <laughs> and my my department chair kept saying, all you have to do is be 10 minutes ahead of the students. 10 minutes. Oh, wow. 10 minutes. Just 10 <laughs> minutes ahead of the students. And part of the reason I survived is because I had two incredible mentor teachers who gave me their curriculum and helped talk me through the curriculum. Uh, Because I just didn't even know what I didn't know. Um, There was a distance between my education, my student teaching, and me actually having a classroom. But it was amazing how I could feel the files in my head opening up. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Oh, yeah, I remember this. Oh, yeah. And so it's those files have been closed and were dusty, but I was able to open that file drawer and find what I needed. From your undergrad? From my undergrad and my master's, yeah. So it was... Um, I had a a very skilled and seasoned teacher. I I will never forget this conversation. I was standing at the copy machine a couple of days before school started, and she came up and introduced herself. She was the AP art teacher, and she said, are you new? And I said, I am. And she said, do you have kids at home? And I said, I do. And she looked at me in all earnestness and said, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. She said, never choose your students over your kids. Your students won't appreciate it, and your kids will never forget. And so that advice really helped me balance 
what I was managing at home and what I was managing in the classroom. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, yeah. Well, those 13 years at homeschool. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Probably helped you. Certainly. And, you know, I think most first-year teachers' greatest challenge is the classroom management. And that takes a few years to get under your belt. Um, And so while I had been managing kids and I had been teaching in different capacities, uh, it's it's putting the routines, the structures, um, the procedures in place that you need to learn to run a really efficient classroom because the whole goal of a teacher is to capitalize on instructional time. You want to be able to have as much time teaching and learning as possible. And it's through those structures and routines that the learning can happen without distraction or the transitions can be smooth. And that is a lot of of trial and error, but also just gleaning information and watching skilled teachers in action. Well, I think your story is important because people, when we think of first-year teachers, we think of fresh outs you know, young 20s, you know, right after their bachelor's degree, getting their first classroom job. But I think more and more we are seeing people that are returning or maybe as a second profession is still in their first year. You know, uh, we've talked about on another show how we get some attorneys. You know, they've been big and tough in the in the courtroom, putting bad guys away or doing things like that. And then they, then they want to teach after they retire as an attorney and they get into a classroom with 14-year-olds <laughs> They're like, what just happened? I thought I knew what I was doing. I think you make a good point. Um, as I've been reflecting on this topic about first-year teachers and how do you best support them, it so much depends on who they are and where they're coming from. Because you do have your fresh outs who have just, some who have just completed an education program at a university. And so they have some classroom exposure. They have some mentor teachers who have supervised them. They've had some practice in the classroom. And and so for them, what they're going to struggle with is very different than someone leaving industry or the business world or the legal world and stepping in. They will have credibility because of their past experience, and they'll have that credibility because of their age, but they don't necessarily have the skill set to manage a class. And so, you know, managing a first-year teacher who has already been successful is is different. You, you have to approach them differently. You have to coach them differently. And then you've got everything in between, right? You have people like me who in you know their 30s decided to embark on their career, um, who had the training but had been out of the classroom. So how we support first-year teachers is really individualized depending on where they're coming from and what their past experience is. That's great. Did you want to add? No, I just think that's so relevant. You know, I think even um, I just thought of an example where my son, he's he's young and I had questions about his homework and I went to the teacher to ask and she was very defensive and very like, why are you questioning? And my heart just said, if she had kids, she was just right out of university. If she had kids and she was trying to help them with their own homework, she she wouldn't be so abrasive. She would understand why a parent is asking this question and wanting to find ways to support their child. And so I'm like, it just will take experience and time for her to understand. And I can just say to her, you know, help her along. But from the, from the parent perspective, it's hard. It's uh, maybe easier from a principal to coach your, coach your teachers and help them and provide mentors yeah. to assist them along their journey. I think, yes, 
I don't know that it's easier from the parent, the principal than the parent, but I do think that's something that we all have in common, whether it is the principal or the parent or the teacher, frankly, is where we can meet and find common ground is the care for the, that young person. And so when we have a hot parent who comes in frustrated or a parent even just asking questions, if the assumption is, oh, they're here advocating for their child or they care deeply about their child, then great, let's have a conversation. But it's, it's when typically when I think when a teacher becomes uh, defensive, it's because they are not certain yet of their own practices. Because to your point, they haven't had enough experience for them to really even understand how those practices play out long-term and they're doing their best. And teaching is a, a, a completely immersive career because you are, you're teaching the whole person. And yes, we have a curriculum we're teaching, but the psychology of the child, the emotions of the child, the home life of the child, the physical well-being of the child all play into whether or not they are open to learning that day. And every day is a new day. Yeah, every day is a new day. Well, Heidi, one of the goals that we're thinking of in recording this particular podcast is to help the first-year teachers. And a lot of first-year teachers don't even know what they don't know. That's part of it. That's part of it. I got to start an economics class, and I didn't know what I didn't know. I read Harry Wong, and that's a great book. And, you know, you get things taught in teacher prep programs, but then you get in the classroom, and it all falls out your ears. What And you touched on some of the challenges as well, but what are some other challenges? And we hope first-year teachers listen to this. What should they also be aware of that we can kind of get ahead of in terms of their first year? What What have you seen as you've mentored those first-year teachers? I think the most important thing that a first-year teacher can do is, is be open to feedback and be reflective. And that's where the mentor, teacher, and the administration will come into play is acknowledging that I don't know everything. I am here trying to be a teacher with all the best intentions, but sometimes lessons will flop and sometimes lessons will soar and just accept that that roller coaster is part of the learning process. And um, I think of one of our first year teachers last year, we, we matched him up with a mentor who does not teach the same subject matter but they office share. She's a very confident, seasoned teacher. And this new, this new teacher we hired had no teaching experience. He had no education background, but we saw potential in him. And he, through hard work, was able to create a solid curriculum. And what he needed most was reassurance and confidence that yes, what you're doing will work. And when it doesn't, then let's problem solve. And this mentor was able to just reassure him, but he was open. He was open to being reflective. He was open to trying new things. He understood I'm going to have my good lessons. I'm going to have my struggle lessons. I'm going to have my up days, my bad days. So it's that resilience and just keep trying. And um, so I think for first-year teachers, it's just accepting that you're going to have lessons that flop. Uh, my my department chair used to come up to me when she could see it in my face. She would grab me by the shoulders. She'd get three inches from my face, look me in the eye and say, you're not hurting them. That's something I, I, I like to say to our new teachers is, listen, that lesson that went bad did not hurt them. It didn't harm them. They learned something today because you came prepared to teach them. And if they were receptive, they learned something. 
So really, every day is a, a success on some level. It's, and so what do you take away from that? I think the other components, so them being resilient and open to feedback and just reflective is important. The other thing is, I think from an administrative or coaching perspective, it's that mentor relationship that is critical. And something that I learned is that the subject area mentor isn't as important as the personality match and geography, meaning the mentor needs to be geographically close to that new teacher. So like the example I gave was an their office mates. So they're seeing each other all the time because so many of your questions as a new teacher are spontaneous. You've just taught a lesson and you have a question about something. And so if that person is nearby, then they can be there to bounce off. Help out. Yeah, about the lesson. And so the department chair or the team lead in elementary will typically help with the curriculum, but you need that person there to just bounce around those everyday classroom management things that they see the nuances and the exactly. little things and but they can also point out all the good things exactly. too, right? Exactly. Yeah. And is it isn't it fair to say that you can have a great lesson and you can do a good job teaching, but if the students are just cranky, it's going to feel like a failure. I mean, like the, yeah. the day after Halloween. Jeez. <laughs> the sugar crash. Right. There's probably lots of great lessons delivered, but are they ready to learn? You know, other times it's the students or the teacher is truly not prepared, but the students are prepared to learn. But when it's. Yeah. Well, and, and so, I mean, I have a couple of, I have many philosophies, but one of the philosophies I have about students or scholars is I believe every scholar who shows up wants to learn. And sometimes teachers talk about they don't want to learn. And, and I'm like, no, they're sitting in that chair. They walked into your class by their own free will. Yeah. And they do want to learn. And so um, for first-year teachers, just remembering that this is a group project. It's a good mindset. They are learning with you, but the fact they showed up today, they want to learn. And um, I think something that teachers learn over time is as you are designing curriculum, and this is clearly not your first year, but this is where a mentor teacher could help you. You're not going to plan a heavy curriculum day the day after thing, Halloween. <laughs> You're going to have a meaningful lesson but it's going to understand, again, that whole child and where they probably were out late. They're having their sugar crash. So let's engage them. Maybe it's a more physical, kinesthetic lesson than just a sit and listen lesson. And so those are tricks and skills that your your master teachers have learned. So there's just so many layers to it. But I don't think first-year teachers need to worry about that kind of stuff. They really, I think, first year, it's about building confidence. It must be hard for the perfectionist teachers that want to do everything right, get all the answers right, and everybody clap like a trained seal, but then they get into these classrooms that, you know, you have real human beings, and they're going to go all over the place. And Hence my department chair to the perfectionist. <laughs> like, and grabs your shoulder. Grabbed my shoulder. You're not hurting them. You are not hurting them. Yeah, because things did not go perfectly. I do have a funny story, though. I, I bet it was three days into my first year teaching. And again, I'd been a stay-at-home mom. My kids ranged in age from 6 to 13 when I started back in the classroom. And I stood up, and we were going to write an in-class essay. And I said, I need everybody 
to get out a piece of paper, a pencil, and put your backpacks on the floor. And they did it. I was like, whoa, they do what I ask because my kids didn't. And like immediately. And I remember feeling odd by that because, <laughs> you know, my kids didn't do everything I asked. What? But it also was so powerful of Heidi, they see you as an authority. You need to use that authority very carefully because that influence is powerful. And a teacher can make or break a child's day, a child's year. And um, something I've often thought about is I don't think that teaching or education has always uh, maybe received the, the credit that it deserves. You know, sometimes like, well, I'm just a teacher or I'm going into education and people might be a little ashamed of that. But I don't care who you are or what, where you are in life. Everybody can identify a favorite teacher or a teacher that changed their life for good or bad. Yeah. Everybody can. Powerful. It is very powerful. And are we lucky to be in the, this this time of their formative years yeah. where we can yeah. really be uplifting and strength for them? Another thing for supporting first-year teachers, because I know that's really the focus of this podcast, is I think administrators need to create a really um, a clear system for how first-year teachers can feel successful, especially, again, speaking to those perfectionists. Like, how do I measure my success? Because so much of what we do is not measurable. Yes, we have standardized tests, but I, I contend the best things teachers do every day cannot be measured by a bubble sheet. And, um, and so if administrators can set very clear expectations and, and create a structure where new teachers can feel many gains, hmm. little successes. I think that's really powerful. So just an example of some of the things that we do on our campus, we've talked about the importance of a strong mentor. And um, and then meeting, I think that the, the admin needs to meet with those new teachers very regularly and, and have that open door policy, check in on them, not as a, like, you made a mistake, but just how are you? How can we support you? Um, we have a Monday teaching like a hero. The first quarter, every Monday, all the new teachers on campus, whether they're experienced or a first-year teacher, come for a half an hour and we talk about our successes of the week and our struggles and we problem-solve together. You find that helpful for the, the first years? It, what it does is it creates a cohort where they can be vulnerable of what they don't know because um, they can ask that question or like, I don't know how to do this or who do I talk to about that or this didn't go well. Does anyone have any help or ideas? And and it's just really an open forum of problem solving together, but also succeeding together. So I, I not every campus has to do that, but I just think having very regular contact. My first couple of years as principals, we met once a month in the morning and I had a list of things to review with them of just, for example, picture day is coming up. Here's how we do that on our campus. Yeah. We don't we don't send home report cards. So here's what end of quarter or end of semester looks like. Uh, we have testing coming up. What it, what are your responsibilities? Um, and some of that is cultural, like what is the culture of your school? But I think an administrator, they can do a lot of things to set new teachers up for success, set those first year teachers, like preempt some of their questions so that they don't feel like they don't know what they're doing because they don't feel like they they don't they feel like they don't know what they're doing. 
they're pretty aware of it. And sometimes they can feel like they're just out on an island and yeah. out like, okay, am I, do, am, what am I doing? Am I doing okay? Yeah, exactly. How am I doing? And so just that reinforcement, that reinforcement, and then just identifying specifics of where they are succeeding. So let's say they're struggling with classroom management because most new teachers do. And so, you know, you just, you break it down just like you would in the classroom when you teach a, a students. It's like, okay, let's work on how you begin class because the beginning of class will set the tone for class. And, um, and part of it is just teaching them how to stand with authority, how to speak with authority, how to set the expectation, the bell rings, expect them to be in their seats, expect them to have their stuff out. How do you do that? Right on the board. When you sit down, please get out blank. And so just helping them learn those procedures. And then when you go into their classroom, you you go at the beginning and you see how it's going and then you follow up. Have you noticed improvement in management because of the way you're now starting class? You know, And so you just chunk it into small pieces. Anybody can change the first five minutes of class. Now the rest may do, just devolve into chaos, but but really that that first five minutes does set the tone where you establish yourself as an authority and then you you have procedures in place that allows that learning to immediately begin. So that's fun. Yeah, it is. It's really fun. And then they can feel success. And that's important. They 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 need to know that they're they're right where they need to be, right? In their in their growth. That the first year teacher, you're doing you're doing great. And yeah. I hope some listeners of this realize that we want more first-year teachers, right? Whether they're fresh outs or they're second career or changing careers. I don't, I don't, I never got the feel working with principals or superintendents that they didn't want someone to take a, take a shot at it. If they thought, I mean, I always felt a very welcoming environment. It wasn't, oh, this is our craft. We're too, you know, it's very technical. You, you, you're never going to get this. The opposite is true. Come into teaching. This is so fun. You're going to really see the the, the value and the meaning in this profession versus other p- professions where you're just making car parts or airplane parts or computer parts, right? Well, that's the thing as an educator, it's such a, it's just such a meaningful career. Uh, my husband's a lawyer and I remember one day coming home frustrated. It wasn't year one, but it was in the first five years of teaching. And you know, I was struggling with a couple of classes, probably, you know, still getting curriculum under my feet. And I just said, Joe, I just don't know if, if I can do this. And he looked at me and he said, Heidi, you are changing people's lives. I said, I don't know. He said, all I do is shuffle papers across a desk all day. <laughs> and, and that's not. That's downplaying it a little that's bit. That's <laughs> downplaying it. But he said, you get to impact lives every day. Focus on that. And you know, again, that perfectionism coming in, but it's true. But but I do think teachers stick with it because the students change your life. And not to get emotional, woo, um, it's like my life has been so enriched by being a teacher and just having, like it stretches you in ways that you just can't anticipate. And then the people impact you so powerfully you watch them struggle to learn and you get to sit by their side and help them overcome that struggle or push through that struggle and I think one of the other mottos I have is that learning is risky business it's it's risky because what you're asking students to do is tell you what they don't know and that's that's not comfortable and when 
Yeah. And when they raise their hand to volunteer or when you call on them to give a response, you've put them in a vulnerable position because they might think they know and they might know, but they might not know. And sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong. And sometimes it's just thinking out loud. And so it's so important that you create that safe environment, but then flipping it to the new teacher Being a new teacher is risky business because you are putting yourself out there every day, acting like you know what you're doing, acting like you know what, what you're talking about. And you might and you might not. And so I do think that is actually an important process for teachers to go through because it helps you remember what your scholars are going through every day. Sitting in those chairs, trying to learn new things is hard. What would you say to a new teacher who is really worried that they're going to be asked a question that they can't answer? Um, I would say it's okay to not know everything and that you can model being a learner to your teacher or to your students. So if you don't know something, say, I am not sure. Let's problem solve that together. Let's look that up. What do you guys think? And I think being a, a visible learner helps them take more risks. First year teaching, what a great, um, great stories. Love that. We need more teachers. We need more first year teachers wherever they come from. Um, There's a role in in education for for great teachers and they they come from all disciplines. Do you you think that if a teacher for the first year, and I know you said that, like I love your examples, if they're coming in straight out of your university or if they've been at home with their children or if they're coming from a a um, private sector, um, but is there a difference, would you say, you've taught in public schools, you've taught in charter schools, uh, or I should say like standard district public school. Uh, would you say there's a difference in preparation to go in uh, as a first-year teacher to these different types of schools, or would you say first-year teacher is first-year teacher? I think first-year teacher is first-year teacher. Um, because there's the content knowledge that someone from the private sector is going to have. Like Jared is going to know economics. He has that content knowledge. But that is a different, that's knowledge. As There's a skill set that teachers have to develop. And that skill set makes a teacher effective, whether they're at the district school, a private school, a charter school. And that skill set for teaching So in my mind, I've separated them. You've got the content expertise, and we have lots of content experts out there, but they wouldn't necessarily be great teachers because there's the teacher part. And teaching is, I think, like many professions, there's the art to it, there's the science to it, right? So you've got the professional development where you can learn things, you can refine your craft. That is the science part of it. The art part of it is the heart. The art part of it is the creativity and how you present a lesson. It's it's structuring that curriculum. There is the science piece, but there can also be that really creative piece. That's one of my favorite parts. I love designing. Yeah, I love designing a curriculum and imagining how it's going to play out and then having the opportunity to teach it and and then see how it morphs. So, yeah, and often... When you have a lot of experience, you you become able to predict, right, how the scholars or students are going to respond. But um, a first-year teacher doesn't need to worry about any of that. If they can just teach the basics and and really focus those first couple years on developing those teacher skills, um, 
I assume the heart is there for most of them because that's why they've chosen the profession. They care about people. Um, they care about education. Um, and so if they will focus on the science part, the the art, the part, the heart and the art part will come that's out. That's right. <laughs> Do you feel like uh, teachers who had a student teaching year prior to coming in, do you feel like that helps them or what experience can they take from that stepping into their first year? I do I do think student teaching is really helpful because it teaches a lot of those day-to-day procedures and practices that otherwise, if you don't have that, you're learning on your own. I don't think it is a prerequisite, though, to a master teacher. I know many teachers who didn't go through the traditional educational path who are incredible in the classroom. And um, so is it helpful? Yeah, it's helpful. Is it necessary? Not necessarily. I think what's necessary is that if they have, especially if they haven't had that experience, that they are paired up with a really strong mentor. And I don't think good districts or charters would be opposed to someone that's doing a career change. Usually the economics just don't work out, but why wouldn't they want to give someone a chance to try it out? you know, before they make a big jump. As administrators, we have that in our best interest. We want to make sure that they're going to, they're in it, right? And it's the right profession for them if they're going to make a big change. And we're going to make a big commitment, whether it's a contract or an offer or something like that. But Well, I think you hit on something too. Um, you know, that first year is a little bit of a dance of the candidate or the new teacher is trying you out, trying out the career, and you are trying them out. And so it's it's a little bit of dating. Um, and yes, you've gone through the screening process and have decided that they are a good fit and that they have potential. But, you know, it doesn't always work out. And sometimes it's not that they don't want to be in education. It's that it's just not a good fit. Um, but other times they just should not be in education. <laughs> and that's okay. But um, it is, I think most people can learn to be a good teacher. It takes hard work, um, and it, it it takes just resilience and being open to feedback. Yeah, and they'll find their voice eventually. They'll find their rhythms and cadence, and it'll be different than everybody else. But that's part of what adds to the beauty of a school is a child can see all these different talented teachers and learn, you know, from, from everyone's different style, and they'll take whatever they take from that. Well, we have a teacher on our campus right now. She's not a first-year teacher, but she's she's pretty um, understated. Like when you talk to her, personality is understated. And in the classroom, she's understated. She knows her stuff inside and out. One day I was having a one-on-one with her, and I said to her, tell me your greatest strength. And she said, my passion. Oh. And I thought, oh, wow, there is a lot going on underneath. She says, my passion for scholars. And it manifests not in if in a big personality, big teaching style. It manifests in she's here every day after school tutoring kids one-on-one. It manifests in that she has a very organized and logical curriculum. It manifests in so many other ways, but it took me aback for a minute because she's like my passion in her in her very subdued, understated way. <laughs> But it's there. And that's to your point. 
great teachers look different. Still they, waters run deep. That's right. And they appeal to different personalities because we have those scholars sitting in our seats as well. I love that. And I bet her scholars feel that passion. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had history teachers who jump up on the table and they're shouting and their arms in the air. And then you have the, t- you know, you know, they're passionate about their subject matter. And then you have the teachers that you fill it quietly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Some people think they have to be like the Dead Poets Society, you know, that Everyone has a voice, you know, to, to, to teach in some ways. And um, that's one thing that I like about your systems is you can help them find it. Just first off, be patient, get the basics down, get those foundational elements, habits, rhythms, just as part of your daily, daily routines and patterns. And then you're going to get into that stage where you're in that sweet spot and you're just going and enjoying. And Yeah, and... And part of, I think, what makes being a teacher so satisfying is you're never, you've never arrived and you've never arrived. And I, my, one of my core values is I'm a learner. I'm very curious. I'm a learner. Like if you said, what is one thing to describe you? I'm a learner. That's, that's the way I would describe myself. Um, and with teaching is you figure out the teaching skill part, but then you're always adapting and changing because we are in the industry of people. And people are complicated and people are, they change. And and from grade level to grade level, from class to class, from year to year, you are teaching a room full of people. And, and so you have to adapt what you're doing. Well, you don't have to. You know, if you want to feel successful and, and offer the best education you can, like you have to recognize your audience and your audience is different from year to year, from class period to class period. And that's exciting. And that's what keeps it fresh. That's what keeps it interesting. And so like there can be teachers who teach, quote, the same curriculum year after year. But I was talking to one of our English teachers uh, this week, our eighth grade English teacher. And I said, how was your day? And she said, I feel a little off my rhythm. And I said, why? She said, because I'm moving around my curriculum. And I said, why are you moving it around? And she said, because I just felt like the, the scholars, I needed to switch some things up because they just weren't prepared in one in this one area. So I need to reteach it. And I said, I don't think the scholars feel that it's off rhythm. And she said, oh, I'm sure they don't. I just feel off rhythm. Oh. <laughs> you know? But to my point is like, that's what a great teacher does is they are behind the scenes making adjustments and adaptations. But for the scholars every day, you know, they have great opportunities to learn. And um, and first year teachers, some of those emotions that you feel of uncertainty of, okay, how am I going to approach this? Those problem solving skills you learn, you continue to tap into those even as an experienced teacher. And um, maybe you just get more comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> you got to live in ambiguity yeah, and, and, and yeah, embrace it. And yeah. But it is so joyful. I had one of our scholars, I was visiting with him, I think it might have been at lunch, and uh, I asked him about a specific teacher, and he said, she is so joyful. And he said, she comes into the class every day, and she's just joyful. And I, yeah, and I, he used that <laughs> word, and it's it's a ninth grade English class. And, and I thought, wow, that's he goes, she's happy. She's joyful. You can tell she's having a good time. And, and they learn, are too, probably. Learning is fun. Yeah, learning's fun. I think my daughter had that teacher you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she described one of her teachers as just like happy and positive and she loved it. It made a hard subject 
better. Better. So yeah. um, you shared a lot of great stories about your first year and how you had support. And then we've talked a little bit about when we interview first year teachers to come into a school. What advice would you give first year teachers? Well, as they're shopping for schools, right? They graduate or they're going back into teaching and they're looking at schools. What are those critical pieces that are going to help them in their first year? You, you mentioned mentors, but what would you say as they're interviewing at jobs? What's, uh, what's something they should look for? So um, one of my second year teachers, he asked a question in his interview that I thought, oh, wow, that's a great question. He looked at me and said, so how will you measure my success as a first-year teacher? Interesting. So that was where I was like, well, how will we measure? I need to come up with a rubric, right? (laughs) And then and then um, I think so I think that would be a good question because it it helps them understand what the school is looking for, what the administrators looking for. But the other question I would ask is what kind of programs do you have in place for for new teachers, for first-year teachers? And, um, you know, if they have a mentoring program in place or some professional development, we have a classroom management course that we will run first-year teachers through um, second semester that um, first semester is so overwhelming. <laughs> you just, to your, you don't know what you don't know. And then once you have some experience underneath your belt, you when you teach those concepts, they go, oh, now I understand why this is working and this isn't working. Or, oh, I can try that. Because you can teach it and it's theoretical until it's practical, right? And so um, I think those are the two questions I would ask is how how do you determine whether a first-year teacher is successful and what kind of programs do you have in place to support new teachers? That's great. And I, I, would, I would respond with the answer and then I'd say, well, how are you going to measure your success yeah. as well? Yeah, exactly. And that's that's golden when you see they'll take their ownership of their own professional development because we we're going to do the very best that we can but none of it matters unless they're motivated unless they're focused on some things and once those are aligned there's magic yep yep Heidi thank you sure this is fun to talk a little bit about this fun subject yeah. it makes a lot of people nervous to think oh can I go into teaching Yes, you can go into teaching. You can make the change. You can be a first-year teacher, too, and you can have the stories yeah. <laughs> and scars. I'd love to tell about it. Yeah, but you will change lives. You will change lives. You will lives. change lives. And they will change your life, too. Yeah. Any any last words on that? Um, I think that it's okay for teachers um, to have balance in their life. Yeah. And um, I was just pitching another episode on boundaries and balance because I think it's something we need to have like a whole other podcast on. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So I had written down like, what are the challenges of first year teachers? And one of the things I wrote down is that work life balance. Balance. Yeah. And um, I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but if you take care of yourself and your home life, your personal life, you bring such a healthier person to the classroom. I didn't take a lot of work home, but I was very efficient in the work day. And I had one day a week that I stayed late. It was Friday because my kids were not having to do homework on Friday. <laughs> and I, you know, so 
I didn't usually come home Fridays till about six, but I had everything lined up for Monday. So whatever happened over the weekend, I knew my copies were made. I was ready for Monday. And just, I would, I guess, say to teachers, you can create routines. You can create that work-life balance. And and then it just makes everything more enjoyable. That's great. Go change some lives. Yeah, go change some and lives. let your life be yeah. changed. I love that you shared that. I think it's something that's not talked about enough. And so for for teachers to understand that that's important, I think we assume if you're working a corporate job, right? Only people on Wall Street work long hours. No, teachers are taking it home into their personal lives. And so to create that balance is so important for them to be the best that they can be when they show up to work, just like any other career. Yeah. And aren't we so lucky to live in a country where we can have school in a box? Mm -hmm. You know, meaning it's not taking six of the seven days and it's not grinding and I mean, it can be. There's definitely school systems that are doing that. But the American classroom is one that can be focused and it can be very efficient and it can be a great reward for the teacher and the learner. And that profession can be, be, be um, you know, very rewarding in, in a lot of different ways. Thank so you. So here's my final line. Please. If you choose to become a teacher, you wake up every morning excited that you get to be a teacher. To, to go to class. You get excited because you get to go and spend time with young people who have amazing energy. And typically teachers are teaching something that they feel passionately about. Like how fun is it to sit and read a book and talk about a book with someone? Because I'm an English person. Or to be able to read somebody's thoughts on paper that they've expressed. You get to know them on such a different level. And there's just so many meaningful parts of being a teacher. So I wake up every day excited excited to come to school, excited to see growth. And I I will argue this till the day I die. Learning feels good. It just feels That's great. Good. And hopefully at the end of that day, they feel even better. They might be tired and worn out, yep. maybe frustrated by some administrative bureaucracy or something, but they probably feel better. And But maybe we should have Heidi back to talk about how teachers find joy and gratitude in what they're doing and and that development, because that that's that's development too. It is. It is. It takes work. It does take work. And even that first year, I went back a second. I went back a third. You know, here it is 20 years later. Um, so much satisfaction. There's just so much satisfaction. And I get teary every year at graduation. And I've been a high school teacher because I look at these individuals who are walking across the stage and I know stories about them. I have seen their struggles. I have seen them overcome. Even your top scholars, they have struggles and it is such a victorious experience. And Great. and I just, I love it. Yeah. It's, it's like nothing else. Like nothing else. I stood at the cross country meet last Saturday just bawling my eyes out because I they left it all in the field. They've given everything they have to give. And that's what you get to experience as a teacher is you see people dig deep. And then it is amazing what they are able to produce. Heidi, thank you. This is great. I'm grateful for uh, the time that you've taken here today. Those of you that are listening, if you could rate us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to it, um, please join and subscribe to our newsletters to stay current on the latest episodes. And um, we're grateful to cover first-year teachers today. Thank you.